Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I am Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. And this week, we have Lindsay Johnson. She's the co founder and CEO of Wheezy, which I think of as a direct consumer towel company, but I know that they've been making more than towels. There are some really interesting things about Wheezy, one of which is a story that we wrote on Modern Retail a few months ago about how they do self fulfillment. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, sort of facet of the business that was in my understanding, a response to the pandemic. And I want to get into all that. I also just want to get into Wheezy's growth, what's going on in home products, all that jazz. But Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So first, uh, for those who don't know, do you want to just give some background about what is Wheezy? How did it start? Yeah, absolutely. So Wheezy is a luxury digital first bath brand. Um, we started about um, three and a half years ago in late 2018, and it was really a response um, to the fact that there was a myriad of options out um, on the market for towels, a lot of different brands, um, a lot of confusing jargon, um, the purchase experience of buying towels. If you go to you know a department store back in the days, um, there's a hundred different brands, a hundred different price points, and really not um, any one brand that my co-founder was actually the one doing this um, that she felt loyal to. And in that purchase experience, she um, kind of settled on a brand that she thought was luxury, um, spent a lot of money in the process, and wanted to get them embroidered. She's a designer by background. And that customization experience was um, really clunky as well and offline. And she thought to herself, there has to be a better way. So it all really started with um, the purchase experience of the towels. And then as she started using them, she got disappointed or became disappointed with the, the quality as well. So um, all of those things, you know, it's kind of like the age old story. It all starts with a, a consumer pain point. Um, and fast forward three and a half years ago, here we are. <laughs> wow. So what was your role in this? Or, and what were you doing before? Yeah, so my background's actually in finance. Um, so at the time, I was doing early stage investing, um, and I was at Columbia Business School with the hopes of going into venture capital. Um, before that, I was working um, in asset management, so I was at a hedge fund. And my co-founder is a, our creative director, and she was the one who was experiencing this this issue with towels. And she sent a text message to a lot of friends, of which I was one, saying, "Does anyone have a towel brand recommendation? Um, here's this here's this you know thing I just went through." Why do these towels suck? Why are they so expensive? Why is it so hard to get them customized? Um, and there was, you know, seven girls in the text thread and no one had a great answer. And that sort of snowballed into her coming to me on the side and saying, hey, I think I want to start this company. Um, there's a real issue out there. You know, is this something you would invest in? And um, that snowballed into her convincing me that we should partner on it together. Um, and so my role is the CEO and she's the creative director. We have very um, complementary skill sets. Wow. So did you ever think while you were working in finance and going to business school that you would become a founder? Was this part of the plan or was this just towels clicked? <laughs> Definitely not part of the plan. Um, and I think that's sort of the beauty of it because I, I'm actually a pessimist by nature. I think <laughs> that most people were surprised that I took a risk like this. Um, but I think that's that's um, one of the reasons that it's been so successful is that I we spent a year and a half on research and talking to customers and developing the product. And I wasn't really going to um, kind of jump into this venture without having done that research and prep work. And that's definitely paid off for sure. Got it. And so uh, what was the initial launch plan? You said you're digital first. Does that mean, I assume you launched it was DTC only? Like, how did that work? Has it remained? All that. 
Yeah. Um, so we launched exactly um, e-commerce only um, through our own website, wheezytiles.com. The launch plan was just, um, you know, it was a lot of prep work, a lot of um, press preparation and just reaching out to editors, getting the word out there and kind of doing all we could to prep for that launch moment. Um, and we did have some great articles hit right when we launched the business, um, which really sort of like kicked things off. Um, and then from there, to be honest, you know, you can plan as much as you, as you want, but you don't, you never know how that's going to go. Right. So you kind of have to get into the market and then react. Um, and launch was super successful. And then we sort of had to follow up that momentum with, um, you know, responding to new requests from customers of new products that they wanted to see or new design options they wanted to see, um, new distribution opportunities. So while we did start on e-commerce only, we have since expanded to some select wholesale relationships, um, as well as some hospitality relationships. And we do actually now have our own brick and mortar retail store as well, located in Atlanta. I wanted to talk about all of that specifically. I mean, the, the brick and mortar store, absolutely. But also, um, just the what's going on with wholesale and corporate and hospitality. Cause I think, I don't know, DTC brands getting into hospitality. I feel like we're hearing more and more about that. It seems like such a ripe opportunity, but I wanted to start first with in, in you and your co-founders history, was it simply what, what was missing from, from luxury towels? Like, is it, or what, I, I guess it's not what was missing is what makes a good luxury towel. Is it simply yeah. the branding? Is it that it needs to be all terry cloth? What did you find? a great question um it's definitely not just the branding because i think i I feel super strongly and so does liz my co-founder like an awesome product is table stakes i I don't think it's worth launching a business if you're gonna take the existing product and put a new brand on it brand is is very important um but it's not it's not everything and so for us we spent a year and a half on that product development and what makes a great luxury towel um to be honest it's, it's subjective because right it's personal preference some people want you know, a microfiber towel. Some people might want um, a cotton towel. So there is some subjectivity. But what we found in our research is that the vast majority of consumers want a towel that is equal parts soft and absorbent. So we define luxury as those are the kind of the two core tenets of our towel. And we maximize for those two qualities. And oftentimes, especially in the luxury space, um, the towels will sort of um, maximize for one of those qualities at the expense of the other. So, you know, those like really soft towels and then they don't actually absorb water or really absorbent towels that are not, that don't have a great hand feel. Um, And so for us, we were sort of in search of a a product that we didn't think was on the market um, and met with factories from all over the world um, to help kind of develop this product. Um, And like I said, it took us a year and a half. And and the way that we got to the result that we have today is one, we use the best possible materials, which again is is in my opinion, table stakes, um, 100% long staple organic cotton. Um, And then the secret sauce for us is really the way that we spin that cotton into yarn. And that is um, actually done in Japan and it's used a a Japanese spinning technology. Um, And that technology infuses air. This is like so nerdy, but infuses air into every, um, every sort of air, there's air pockets woven into the yarn and those air pockets are what absorbs the water, but also get fluffier and expand with every single wash. Um, and so those, the yarn is actually then made into the towel in Portugal at a third generation, um, family owned, uh, factory in Portugal. And then we import that final product into Georgia where we do all of the fulfillment um, and customization ourselves. So, um, it, all of our products are, you know, Okotech certified. We have organic products. I mean, we really spent a lot of time making sure the product was 
actually better than what was on the market in the luxury space. How did you find that supply chain? So I've, I've hear of so many first time founders and you find you come upon these places, this technology in Japan, but correct me if I'm wrong, but you were sort of figuring out the towel business as you went along. Am I incorrect about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Google is your best friend. Um, so <laughs> I spent a lot of time researching from, you know, from behind a computer screen, but then you actually kind of have to go get out there and visit. So I went to a textile trade show in Germany. There was 80,000 vendors there met with, um, I think it was probably, you know, 50 vendors um, that I had previously identified and set up meetings with and went through all the samples I had brought and explained, you know, this is what I like about this. This is what I don't like about this. And honestly, I heard no, um, pretty immediately from, you know, 49 out of 50 of those um, contacts. And so we it, it wasn't until we found our factory that they were sort of willing, they totally bought into what we were asking for. And they were actually working on the exact same idea that we were after, um, this idea of sort of maximizing softness and absorbency versus kind of maximizing just one of those qualities. Um, and so that kind of kicked off a, a relationship that's obviously um, still serving us today. And they are our, our main factory. How did you build out the part in in the United States? Was it always from day one that you were going to be sort of in in housing it, making it so that you would be doing the customization yourself? Um, or and how did you do that cost effectively? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are for the most part bootstrapped. It was a it was very daunting undertaking, and I'll be totally honest, it wasn't really the plan when we started. Um, so when we initially launched. The, the business, we were really focused on this idea of the improving the product quality and the luxury quality of the towel. The design element um, was important to us as it was part of Liz's initial pain point. Um, but we sort of thought of that as like an added bonus. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily something that we were focused on from the initial ideation of of the company. However, as we went through that kind of year and a half development process, we heard from our customers that that was actually a really big pain point. And they were sick of having to drive to an in-person monogram or embroidery shop and drop their towels off, pick out something from a book, and then go pick them up, you know, six weeks later, oftentimes. Um, and so once we heard that kind of pain point loud and clear, we started to say, we have to invest in this. And of course, the easy answer, I, I mean, you think it's easy is to outsource it, right? There's embroidery shop, embroideries, um, uh, practices out there and we could kind of you know outsource all of this but because the nature of our business i mean you could order one towel from us and get it embroidered so to outsource each and every order i mean that would very much delay our fulfillment time um, and also opens ourselves up to you know product quality issues right and so for us because quality and luxury are so important to who we are, um, it was important that we just manage that entire process end to end. Um, so we, yes, so since since day one, we've been managing all of the embroidery in-house. So every single um, product that comes out from us is done by hand in, in our own fulfillment center. What is the lead time on that? It varies depending on, you know, the time of year and our capacity, but, you know, we, that's one of our biggest kind of leading value props. Um, so right now it's, it's about two to three days, which is um, industry leading. Wow. And so have you had to build out your, like the amount of people you hire, the facilities you use as things have grown? Yes. Yes, absolutely. We actually started in a, um, I mean, it would be crazy to go back to that place <laughs> now as a storage unit um, with, you know, one embroidery machine and one embroiderer. And since then, we've now expanded to a 40,000 square foot um, warehouse of our own. We have dozens of embroidery machines with multiple heads. We have about 40 people right now. It flexes up to about 60 people during peak times just in that that fulfillment center. And so I, I should have asked this from the beginning, but what is the price point? What What is the usual price point of a so-called luxury towel? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, we sell most of our 
products and bundles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, our starter pack, um, starts at about $250 and that will get you four bath towels and two hand towels. We have a lot of different bundles kind of depending on what you're looking for and whether you're outfitting sort of a guest room or your own on your own room. Um, and, or a kid's room, you know, all that stuff sort of varies. And so we are a higher price point product. Um, that is for sure. And I think that is, you know, because of the quality as we've, we've already spoken about. How have you, or what have you figured out on the branding side of things in terms of how you are able to message what Wheezy is, what the value prop is, has that changed? Has it resonated since day one? What, and what channels have worked the best? Yeah, I think branding, um, branding for us is ever evolving. Um, and I think that's kind of the natural way you want to respond to kind of the market and the customer. And my co-founder is our creative director, as I mentioned. So she's, um, sort of the, the kind of the visionary behind the brand that is now Wheezy. But I think, um, from day one, we really focused on three things and, and this has, has not changed. One is the quality of the product. Two is the design. Um, so it's a really high design moment in your bathroom. And so kind of treating that towel is not just something as a functional item, but really something you're displaying in your bathroom as part of um, the design, overall design. Um, so coordinating your your monogram color to your wallpaper, that sort of thing. Um, and the third thing we, we talk about a lot as a sort of our brand pillar is enjoy this day, which is our hashtag. And it's kind of this concept of... Um, you know, don't don't wait to whip out the fine china for grandma, right? Like you can use everyday moments to kind of infuse um, delight into your day and towels should be no different. We kind of initially thought towels have just been this forgotten item that is that you use every single day. Um, and so it's just this sort of idea of, um, you know, infusing a little luxury um, into the everyday. And those three brand tenants have really been consistent since we launched. Got it. Um, you mentioned that when you launched, you got some really good press mentions and some some great earned media. Has that, for the most part, been one of the biggest propulsion engines for you, or what what else has worked? Yeah, on day one, absolutely, it was earned media. Um, so press placements is what kicked off, um, I think, this entire journey, and and those have been incredible. And I think we've been lucky to have a lot of those earned moments over the past three and a half years. Um, but I think you know press um, is something that I think does a great job in establishing credibility and building brand awareness, but it doesn't necessarily always translate into sales, you know, immediately. Um, and so things that we've done outside of press is focus on. Um, you know, we, we do paid media, so we have a paid search and, and paid social, so you'll see our ads there. Um, and then we also have um, an influencer program that we rely on some of our core, what we call them brand ambassadors that have been fans of ours since day one to get the word out. Um, we also have, you know, a loyalty program with our customers. We spend a lot of time sort of deepening those relationships because we found, um, frankly, that our customers are our best marketers. Um, and so when they love our product and have a great experience, they're going to dinner, they're telling their friends. And so about 50% of our orders are, are really coming from those like more organic sources, which is great. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. What are the types of influencers that you find work the best? Are they mostly you know, people who, who, you know, Instagram about the home, that sort of thing, or are there are various types? Yeah, it's definitely various types. I think um, definitely people who um, are into design, I think really resonate with us. So, or, or Wheezy resonates with them, I should say. So we have a great interior design program. So interior designers are, are purchasing with us and they're posting about us. Um, and then, so the influencers that, you know, are really into their home decor, um, it definitely resonates there. I think people who are into sort of like the luxury quality, finer things in life um, works there. I think 
we've noticed um, age ranges over the past three and a half years have really expanded. So we used to sort of be, I think, seen as this um, kind of core like millennial brand. Um, but since we've launched, we've, we have customers, you know, honestly into their 70s and 80s uh, and customers that are in their teens as well. Um, and so age range wise, I think we have products that serve a lot of different markets. Um, so because of that, we're able to kind of work with a lot of different influencers. Got it. Um, so this leads perfectly into the next question, which can you talk about product expansion? I know you you like you represent all things bath. So how have you decided <laughs> what you would go into next? Was it always part of the roadmap? Um, just how have you approached that? And then how has growth followed with that? Yeah, I think um, product-wise, people always asked us that when we were launching. They were like, what are you going to launch next? Like, are you going to do sheets? Um, you know, are you going to go into the bedroom? And our answer was is a pretty quick no. Um, we have always wanted to be, you know, the bath towel is the champion of, is the hero product of Wheezy. And so we're going to stay within that world. And so the things that we have launched since we launched the core bath line have been either like a Terry good, like a beach towel or a robe, as you've mentioned, um, or within the bathroom, like bath mats, bath rugs, tissue box covers. Um, we have done some Terry beach towel cover-ups. We've done a few things that are kind of outside of the home, um, but are in that sort of Terry world. Um, and so we really try to stay true to, to those lanes, um, you know, whether it be the Terry product or the bathroom. Um, and we, you know, occasionally we'll step outside of, you know, those lanes, if something warrants it, if there's a, a special opportunity, a partnership opportunity, or a new product that we're interested in testing. Um, but I think, you know, we really are always going to be bath towel first and foremost. Got it. And so, and how has growth been or where have the demand spikes happened? Yeah. I mean, we're, um, the growth has been really strong and steady since we launched the business. We are definitely a seasonal business. So we see big spikes, um, as you can imagine around, um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday and gifting season, as well as Mother's Day is actually, um, equally as large for us. And so, um, because we offer customization, you know, about 70% of our orders contain at least one item that is customized. And that makes for a great gift because you're, you know, it's a wedding gift. It's a housewarming gift. It's a birthday gift, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all that's all that good stuff. So, um, I'd say we definitely see spikes in demand around those big gifting um, moments. Um, but other than that, I mean, we found that our customer base is very, very loyal. Um, so I think we've done a great job with retention and those early customers have shopped with us, you know, honestly, dozens of times. Um, so we can launch a new product like a hair towel or a towel wrap or something, um, you know, that's sort of like an add-on product. And they're, you know, the second we launch it, they're coming to kind of add that on to their, their collection. Got it. And so did you, we wrote a little bit about, I guess it would now be a year and a half ago, but you know, what is time these days? But there was the home goods sales boom as a result of the pandemic. I feel like you could very easily fit into that narrative. D d is that something you experienced? Yeah, we definitely did. I think, um, I would say we experienced more tailwinds than headwinds as it related to COVID. Um, so being at that point, we did not have a brick and mortar store. We did actually had no wholesale relationships in place at that point. Um, so I think that we definitely got, you know, we were fortunate in that we were positioned well going into the pandemic and also being one in the home, as you mentioned, and also a luxury product. Um, so a lot of our consumers had that disposable income despite the economy being, you know, dicey there for a little bit. Um, you know, our consumer wasn't losing their job. So um, I think we got really fortunate there and that really has propelled our growth. Um, I think, you know, it was sort of like a step function going through COVID and having people looking around their homes and wanting to update and, and design and kind of as they're, you know, they're, they're there every day, they're going to their bathroom every single day. Um, and so that definitely helped us. Um, and you, you mentioned earlier that you have select 
uh, wholesale partnerships, correct? And it sounds like that happened after the pandemic began. What are they? How did you approach them? What do you what works specifically with a Wheezy wholesale partnership? Yeah, so wholesale for us is definitely a new um a, a new category that we're exploring. Um, the first large wholesale relationship that we launched earlier this year is with uh, another retail brand, um, Tucker Neck. If you're familiar with them, they're based in the DC area and they're, they're primarily a fashion retailer, but they do also sell home products. And like with everything with Wheezy, all partnerships have, have come really naturally and kind of organically. Our brands align really well. We have um, great overlap in our customer base. Um, and I, I honestly think it started with like an Instagram DM with someone on our social media team. Um, and it, it evolved from there. And so we got to know the founders and you know we saw a lot of synergy there, again, between our customer bases and our brands. And we developed an exclusive line for them. So took their brand colors and applied them to our existing Wheezy product. So it's really not something you can get on our website. You can only get it through Tucker Neck. Um, and that was our first big relationship that launched in January of 2022. Um, and since that relationship's launched, we've now gotten a lot of um, inbounds from other retailer, like-minded retailers who want to carry Wheezy, which is great. Um, something we've always struggled with, frankly, is because customization is such a big part of our business, um, it is hard to wholesale because um, a lot of the wholesalers can't replicate that embroidery experience in-house and customization. Um, and while, of course, our products are wonderful on their own, um, it is it's, it doesn't tell the whole story, right? So I think we have to be really careful with who we partner with and what we sell and um, that sort of thing. So that's something we're actually actively working on now. So is that a question of technology and figuring out how you can scale up with a wholesale partnership and include customization? Or is it just meaning that wholesale will always be a smaller piece of the pie? I think um, a little bit of both. Um, so like there are some, a lot of larger dropship relationships that have reached out to us, like some of the big wedding registries and um, other sort of like, you know, dropship model businesses that we would love to, to participate in, but they're really interested in, in the embroidery aspect. Um, and so in order for us to sort of intake that embroidery information would be a, a large tech investment. So that is definitely um, something that if we're going to do, we need to do it right and it's going to be expensive and it has to be the right time and the right opportunity. Um, and then, you know, to your second question, we'll hold will be smaller. I think um, even without the customization, I don't think wholesale is ever going to be the majority of our business. I think we're always going to be e-commerce first. Um, but, you know, we're building out this brick and mortar presence. We're dabbling into hospitality. Honestly, we're looking really heavily right now into corporate gifting and some other kind of opportunities of that nature. Um, so I think collectively all these, you know, things that are outside of the website, who knows, could be up, you know, 10, 20% of the business. But I don't think um, more than that. Got it. And I mentioned this at the very beginning, so I can't not talk about it. But uh, I, I know that we've written up on retail about your sort of self-fulfillment, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was happened more or less as a result of supply chain headaches and needing to fulfill things faster. Can you give just talk a little bit about how that started, how that's going, all that? Yeah, we actually, um, we've been self-fulfilling since day one. Um, however, we did have to um, use some 3PLs throughout our, our lifetime to sort of help us um, with demand because we, we didn't have the space or the people to help us fulfill. Um, during COVID was actually when we made the decision that we had to bring it 100% in-house and we had to actually invest in a very large space that we could grow into over the next um, you know, several years. And so everything before was, it felt a little um, haphazard and kind of, you know, scrappy startup style. And this was the first really large investment um, in in our operation. And the experience so far has been, um, you know, I, I talk to founders all the time and they say, should I self-fulfill? It sounds like it's, you know, we should self-fulfill. You guys do it. Do you recommend it? And to be honest, the reason we do it is because of the customization. Um, if we had a product that was just, you know, simple pick and pack, I think a 3PL could be a great 
you know, a great resource for us. Um, we wouldn't have to, you know, man our own warehouse, set up our own warehouse, staff our own warehouse. It's a totally different type of employee base that we're managing. Um, it's almost double the, uh, or it's, uh, yeah, about double the um, number of people that my corporate team is. And so it, it is just a totally different company that we're running. Um, and we have a lot more people on our, our corporate team that are on the ops team as well because of that. Um, and so I think for us, it makes a ton of sense. I think it's a competitive advantage. It's been awesome. Um, I think it really makes us who we are. But would I necessarily recommend it to any other DTC founder? Um, you know, it depends on it depends on your business. Are you filling up that that space yet? Or what's how long until... You're, you're to capacity there. Yeah. Um, it's shockingly, um, it's going faster than I thought, um, which I feel like has been the case, but, um, since we launched the company, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's large. We have great ceiling heights. So we can always build up, which is great. Um, I think the issue is going to be the number of machines we can fit on the floor space. Um, so that's what we're working on right now is kind of like that redesign and how do we sort of make sure we're set up to, to scale over the next couple of years. Got it. Um, let's talk about the hospitality side of things and also just overall revenue diversification. It sounds like you're dabbling in all these different things. Who are you targeting with hospitality? Is it high-end hotels? Is it, you know, repeat Airbnbs? What, 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 who are you working with? Yeah, hospitality, um, you hit the nail on the head with high-end hotels. Um, so that has also been inbound. So we actually sell right now in some high-end hotel gift shops. So if you go, um, so the first, the, the largest one we're in today is, is in Sea Island, Georgia. We, if you go into their beach club, if you go into their spa shop, if you go into their women's and men's shop, we have products in all of those stores. Um, and so that was sort of like our first foray into hospitality. And then, you know, some other boutique hotel buyers have seen those products and then they want to carry them not only in their gift shops, but also in their actual hotel rooms. Um, and because we offer the customization, it makes for a great branded products. So we can do branded robes. Um, in hotel rooms or branded, um, you know, bath mats and things of that nature in the in the rooms. So that again is, is something that we're really focused on and this year building out. Um, I think we got off to like a really strong start, and then COVID happened, and so hospitality, as you can imagine, took a little bit of a hiatus. Um, but now it, it seems to be back in full force. So um, that's something that we're really focused on finding the right partners. Um, they are a lot of the, the more kind of luxury boutique players. When you are working with you know, uh, a retail presence like that or a high-end hotel, do you try to brand the towels more so that people know they're a wheezy towel? Are you doing anything in terms of attribution to know if those guests saw your towel and now are repeat customers to your website? It's actually, um, it's really interesting. I would love to like overbrand our product in these places so they know it's a wheezy towel. However, there's one hiccup is that a lot of these, the larger players have commercial laundry machines. And so they are like torching the product. <laughs> so they um, will literally like wash it on super high heat, dry it on super high heat, they'll bleach it. Um, and so that is something that obviously like doesn't do our brand justice. So when you feel a towel that has not been taken well care of, I don't necessarily want Wheezy plastered all over it. Um, so that's actually something that we're really careful about when we, um, talk to these different opportunities. It's, you know, how do you wash your towels? How often are you washing them? How often you're replacing them? Um, and some of the boutique hotels have great laundry programs. So we'll do that all day long. But some of the larger ones that um, aren't as nice to their products, we, we are actually exploring some more of the private label opportunities. I love that, that you vet that you vet the hotels to make sure they're treating it well. That I mean, it makes sense, but I never would have thought of that. <laughs> I know. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so talk. you mentioned the brick-and-mortar store. Uh, you opened that at the end of last year. Is that correct? 
We did. So it was actually a pop-up. Um, it was opened in Buckhead and Atlanta um, at the end of 2021. It was just for, a th- I think it was a three and a half month lease. And the intention was for it to be just that, a pop-up. Um, however, we saw amazing success um, and, and honestly felt within, you know, probably three to four weeks after opening it that we had to turn this into a permanent location. And so immediately started looking for a longer term lease. We were very fortunate that we were able to keep our space. Um, so we just... We closed it down um, in January to do a complete remodel and and we'll reopen um, in in May of 2022. How are you thinking of that space? Is it pure branding? Is it profitable in and of itself? And what are you thinking about showcasing other brands in there? Or is it just going to be Wheezy products, Wheezy towels, that's it? Yeah, it's multifold um, in terms of its purpose. I think number one, absolutely brand building, community center. You know, it's it's in a wonderful location. It's a, kind of bringing the brand to life in a physical space. Um, people walk by it all the time. It's in a really high foot traffic area. So I think it's great for brand awareness. It's a great to host, you know, parties and events and kind of deepen those relationships with the customers. So really this kind of idea of a community center. But then third is, is of course, you know, revenue. Um, and so I, to be honest, I was, again, I, I mentioned I was a pessimist, but I was pretty surprised um, at how much sales we were able to drive through the store, um, especially because you don't really want to go in and like buy a bunch of towels and walk around with towels, right? And so um, I think it's it's not something you're necessarily trying to, to go buy in person. And so I think for us, uh, we were kind of just using it as a test. But what we found is that people really want to come in and sort of use our sales associates as like design concierge. So you come in, you're not only getting to touch and feel the product and understand the quality firsthand in person, but you also get to pick out your embroidery style and your colors and make sure it's matching your color scheme and kind of make sure that you're, you're picking the right quantity of towels and outfitting your house in the right way. And so I think that um, whole kind of idea of just that like educational aspect um, and getting to touch and feel a product that, you know, is tactile, like a towel in person, um, sort of blew us away in terms of the revenue. So people, even though they're not walking out with the product, they're coming in, it's really a showroom. They're coming in, they're touching and feeling and trying on products, and then they're um, ordering them in person. And because the, the store is actually located in Atlanta, which is the same location as our fulfillment center, we're able to deliver embroidered products next day to their home within the Atlanta area, um, which is really, really unique within the embroidery um, kind of marketplace. What are you using to deliver it? I assume it's not USPS. We actually are doing, um, God, I want to say it's like FedEx. It's something overnight. We're not doing a courier service. Um, so it is actually through um, our our warehouse, I should say, is also positioned directly next door to FedEx. So we have like, a oh, unique that advantage works. there. Um, <laughs> Um, but you know, we, as a fail safe, of course we could do a courier service. Um, so I think just having that unique value prop, um, is another reason why we were drawn to opening in Atlanta. Whereas I think most brands might imagine, you know, you go to New York or LA first. Well, we're just about running out of time, but I have so many more questions, but I'll, I'll use this one last one as to be representative of many, but does this mean you're going to (laughs) be opening more stores given that this is such a success? And with that, you know, what are the plans for 2022? Yeah, I'd love to open more stores eventually. I don't think it's it's not on the near-term roadmap. We really want to focus on getting this one right and kind of pouring all our resources into this experience. And then, of course, we'd love to duplicate that in other cities down the road. What we are doing instead of opening permanent stores in other cities is taking Wheezy on the road. So we have um, a lot of events planned throughout the country this year and kind of doing more of that in-person pop-up um, trunk show type of model that we weren't able to do during covid um, and then, you know, in terms of what's next this year, a lot of the distribution channel plans 
that we've talked about. I think doubling down on our website, investment in our website and making sure that that's, you know, optimized and kind of can service the growth that we're experiencing and continuing to invest in our operation to make sure we can service demand. Obviously, supply chain's been crazy. So um, doing all we can to manage that as well. Um, it's definitely a big year. I think, you know, we're we've been around for three and a half years now. So I think it's, it's kind of, although we are very much still a startup because we are, we are scrappy and we we're bootstrapped, as you mentioned. Um, I think it's a big year of sort of just, you know, investing in, in the future. Got it. Well, Lindsay, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for joining. Thanks so much for having me, Kiel. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Thank you.